0: Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, we continue in our teaching series, Jewish Roots of Christianity with Larry Stam, And a little later, James Collins visits with Eric Barger about how we are entertaining spirits unaware. Our website, swrc.com, has over 900 items designed to educate and encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Books and DVDs, all at swrc.com. Your favorite authors and teachers helping bring clarity to the chaos. With free shipping on all orders over $100. swrc.com. Brand new resources by Dr. Douglas Petrovich, Billy Crone, and Larry Spargiamino are all available at swrc.com. A Moment of Prophecy e-newsletter is delivered to your inbox each week with messages from Dr. Larry Spargiamino and the latest on new resources and conferences. Sign up today at swrc.com and start receiving a Moment of Prophecy e-newsletter. Here is author and teacher, Larry Stamm, continuing our study into the Jewish roots of Christianity.
1: Shalom, friends, Larry Stamm here. So glad you're joining us as we continue our study in the Jewish roots of the Christian faith. We are currently doing a biblical survey of redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation. Last time we talked about the purposes of the tabernacle were to provide a dwelling place for God where his glory resides, to provide a place where God could meet with man. And one powerful purpose of the tabernacle was to show the panorama of redemption. I encourage you, if you've not done so, do a study, of uh, Exodus chapters 25 through 27, where God spells out the pattern for the tabernacle and its furnishings. And all those blueprints... In the physical, were types and shadows of the person and work of the substance who is Messiah or Christ Jesus. It was a fascinating study. Today, we are going to continue in our study with the temple. There were similarities between the tabernacle and the temple, and there were also some differences. First of all, I want to talk about the temple itself. It was a house for the Lord the temple one of the differences what it was that it was permanent it was in a permanent location in jerusalem you remember the tabernacle during their wilderness wanderings israel had the tabernacle and it was portable that was a huge difference the temple was a house for the lord king david desired to build the tabernacle but god told david through nathan in first chronicles chapter 17 verse 4 that he could not build the temple instead his son solomon would take the plans and actually execute them building the temple a house for the lord in the city of god the city of jerusalem we find that in first chronicles chapter 22 verses 5 through 9 i encourage you to go there. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to get it. Uh, We're going to read again 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 5 through 9. We read, Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. And David commanded to gather the strangers that were in the land of Israel, and he set masons to hew wrought stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance. For the nails, for the doors, and of the gates, for the joinings, and brass in abundance without weight. Also, cedars in abundance for the Zidonians, and they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. And David said, Solomon, my son is young and tender, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and of glory throughout all countries i will therefore now make preparation for it so david prepared abundantly before his death verse 6 of first chronicles 22 then he david called for solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the lord god of israel now we continue turn to second chronicles chapter 2 we're going to read verses 1 through 5 where we see Solomon actually erecting the temple of God in the city of God, Jerusalem. Second Chronicles chapter 2, verse 1, we read, And Solomon determined to build a house for the name of the Lord and a house for his kingdom. And Solomon told out threescore and ten thousand men to bear burdens, and fourscore thousand to hew in the mountain, and three thousand and six hundred to oversee them. And Solomon sent to Huram the king of Tyre, saying, As thou didst deal with David my father, and didst send him cedars, to build him a house to dwell therein, even so deal with me. Behold, I build a house to the name of the Lord my God, to dedicate it to him and to burn before him sweet incense, and for the continual showbread and the burnt offerings, morning and evening on the Sabbaths and on the new moons and on the solemn feasts of the Lord, our God. This is an ordinance forever, and the house which I build is great, for God is our great God above all gods. So David determines to build the temple. Solomon actually builds the temple. The importance of the temple was that it provided a place for God's people to go and offer sacrifices in worship to the living God. Also, the temple built in Jerusalem the holy city, the city of God. Though destroyed on many occasions, in fact, the city of Jerusalem was conquered and raised well over 20 times throughout history. It was always rebuilt in what the Bible often calls Jerusalem, the city of God. Here are some of the similarities between the temple and tabernacle of importance to us. They were places where God's glory dwelt. They were places where men worshiped God, and they were places where sacrifices were offered. Finally, the tabernacle and the temple both were places where atonement was accomplished. Differences I mentioned. The temple was permanently located in Jerusalem while the tabernacle was portable. God commanded Moses to build the tabernacle in Exodus 25, while David determined to build the temple so god commanded moses to build the tabernacle he did not command david to build the temple he and solomon it was in their heart to do so and god allowed that to happen here are some interesting new testament connections between the temple and the believer in jesus christ in 1 corinthians chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 we read Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, we individually are temples. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Paul reiterated that reality in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Interestingly, we as the body of Christ, the church— We are also called the temple in a corporate sense. Turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, communicates this spiritual reality of the church also being called the temple. Ephesians 2, we're going to read verses 19 through 21. Beginning in verse 19, we read, Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. So there you see, we, the church, are the temple of God, built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, according to Ephesians 2.20, and ultimately upon Jesus Christ himself, who is the chief cornerstone. We also note in Psalm 118, Jesus is referred to in a prophetic sense as the chief cornerstone. Chief cornerstone is a reference to Messiah. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. We find that prophecy in Psalm 118. So individual believers, you and I, are temples of the Holy Spirit. The church, corporate, is also referred to as the temple. Now we go to the book of Revelation, and we find some interesting things about the tabernacle in heaven and God tabernacling with his people. You go to Revelation chapter 21, Verses 3 and 4, we read these words about God tabernacling with his people. Revelation 21, verse 3, the apostle John wrote, And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death nor sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. So we find in Revelation chapter 21, in glory, God tabernacling with we, his people. There is also a temple in heaven. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, we read about that temple in heaven. Revelation 3, verse 12, the word of God says, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. There's the temple in heaven. In chapter 7, there is a reference to the temple Revelation 7, verse 15, the word says, Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. So there is a temple in heaven, a physical temple, in some way, shape, or form. There is a temple in heaven. But it's not a place, nor is it a building. I misspoke. It's actually a person. And we find the reality of that person, of the temple, in Revelation 21, verse 22, where God reveals the true nature and reality of the temple in heaven. Check it out. Revelation chapter 21, verse 22, as John concludes writing the revelation of Jesus Christ in Revelation 21, verse 22. 22, he writes, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. I'll read that one more time. Revelation 21, verse 22, the Apostle John wrote, And I saw no temple therein in the New Jerusalem heaven, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. So there is a temple in heaven. And there are several places in Revelation that refer to the temple in heaven, and God sitting on the throne in the temple. And yet, ultimately, it's not a place nor a building. It's a person, God himself, which is kind of a fascinating study. So there's a brief introduction to the temple and its relation to us as believers in Jesus Christ. I next want to segue into the Feasts of Israel. So we discuss the Feasts of Israel. I want you to know, books have been written, many books. The Feasts of Israel are foundational to understanding types and shadows and that they all were signposts. And in so many ways they were saying in neon lights, this way to Messiah, this way to Messiah. They all point to the person and work of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. I want to start our introduction to the Feasts of Israel, and we'll dig into them more in our next program, but I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 23 as we begin our study on the Feasts of Israel. Leviticus 23, we're going to begin reading in verses 1 and 2, and by the way, you may want to read all of Leviticus 23. That is really the chair passage where God institutes the Feasts of Israel It's really the beginning point as you seek to study the feasts of Israel and how they relate to the person and work of the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world, Jesus. Leviticus 23, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 as we begin our time and briefly introduce the feasts. Leviticus 23, verse 1, we read, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, Even these are my feasts. So the feasts of Israel instituted by God here, Leviticus 23, they were appointed times when Israel would meet with God. And they all point to the redemptive work of Messiah Jesus. And as I mentioned, in one sense, they were signposts that read this way to Messiah. Now, in verse 2 of Leviticus 23, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say unto them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. That word feast there is the word moed, which literally means appointed times. So the feasts of the Lord, the Hebrew word is moed, literally means appointed times. Friends, The feasts of Israel were corporate quiet times for the people of God in ancient Israel. These feasts were times when the nation of Israel and the people of Israel would abrogate all of their daily responsibilities and duties, and they would stop. They would focus their attention on God, who he is, and what he had done for them. They would take time during these appointed feasts to worship God, to hear the word of God, to confess their sins and seek forgiveness from God. These were corporate quiet times as followers of Jesus Christ during this age of grace, the church age. We are also commanded to meet together Uh, The book of Hebrews instructs us that we are not to forsake the assembly of the brethren together. And we also have corporate quiet times as the church. Uh, We typically will meet on Sundays and Wednesdays, and there are other days. Some will worship on the Shabbat, the Sabbath, but the important thing is to focus on the substance who is Christ and to worship him and give him all the glory, honor, majesty, and dominion that he is worthy of. The feasts of Israel, instituted by God in Leviticus 23. Corporate quiet times, signposts, this way to Messiah. They were the Passover, Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, also known as Shavuot, the Feast of Trumpets, also known as Rosh Hashanah or the Jewish New Year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the Feast of Booze, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles, and the other appointed time of God laid out in Leviticus 23 is the Shabbat, the Sabbath, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as well. So those are the Feasts of Israel. Again, the Sabbath, Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, also known as Shavuot, better known to us as Christians as Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, the Day of Atonement, also known as Yom Kippur, and finally the Feast of Booths also known as the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Ingathering. During our next session, we are going to unpack and briefly talk about the Feasts of Israel, how they point to the person and work of Jesus, and what they mean, more importantly, for us as Christians. Friends, I hope this has been edifying for you and encouragement to you and your faith. Until next time, friends, the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Shalom.
0: Larry Stam's complete teaching series, Jewish Roots of Christianity, is available as a book, DVD series, and audio collection on CD. Order Jewish Roots of Christianity when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can always order online, swrc.com. Larry Stam is one of the speakers at this weekend's mega conference in Tri-Cities, Tennessee. Get all the information when you visit the events page of our website, swrc.com, or simply call 1-800-652-1144. Occult practices and psychic phenomena have captivated millions of people worldwide. Today, on A Moment of Prophecy, James Collins is joined by Eric Barger to discuss how we are entertaining spirits unaware.
2: The Bible is very clear that there will come a time when the entire world will submit to a world leader, one who will be empowered by occult abilities. He will have powers and be able to perform lying signs and wonders for the purpose of deceiving the masses and subjecting them to his absolute control. 2 Thessalonians 2 and other scriptures lay this out quite clearly. But this doesn't happen overnight. There has to be some preparation. Our friend Eric Barger has written a book that addresses the end-time occult invasion titled, Entertaining Spirits Unaware. And Eric is with me today to talk about some of the forbidden practices that we see increasing today. Eric, welcome back to The Watchman on the Wall.
3: Always my pleasure. Thank you.
2: Eric, the second half of your book, Entertaining Spirits Unaware, focuses on these doorways to the devil. What are some of the ways the enemy is using to make the occult more mainstream today?
3: I think one of the most powerful things that's been going on is the increase of the use of Ouija boards and tarot cards. This is happening by people who are not necessarily skilled practitioners in the world of the occult, but it's certainly a doorway into the world of the occult. A Ouija board, of course, people would say, oh, well, the people that have their hands on it are actually manipulating the planchette or the cursor, if you will. And a lot of people have played with these things and realized that there was a third party involved. This wasn't the two people sitting there at the table with their hands on the game. They realized that there was a third party giving answers. And so when this happens, some people are very, very captivated by it. They want to know more. They want to get more out of it. Some people are frightened by it. I hope the people that have tried this, that are listening, understand that you want to be frightened by this thing because this is something that is not a toy, even though it's sold by a toy maker and sold in places with toys. It is not something we should be messing with. That's just one of the ways. Tarot cards, the same way. Learning to read tarot cards and turning them over in a particular order to know what they're going to tell us or what they tell us. People just are deciding to open a door up to the occult, whereas, as we've said before, and I've said on there with you before, brother, that only God knows the future. Only God knows what's about to happen or what is happening and what's going to happen either today or years from now. Only God knows. And if we put our trust in him and follow his word and wait for him then to give us direction, that is the only pure and true way to live your life.
2: When I was a kid, the television show Bewitched was very popular. That show cleaned up witchcraft and put it in a very nice, pretty package. Today, it's much more subtle, isn't it?
3: It really is, and at the same time, some of the inferences, especially on television, are subtle, but the motion pictures are just blatant, outright you know, world of the occult, embracing everything that happens. Everything supernatural you can imagine is being given through Hollywood, and it makes money. The biggest money makers in Hollywood, you just go through the bookshelves in a library and begin to see. look at the top 100 books, and you have supernatural themes again and again and again and again. And the same is true, of course, as everything that's being produced in video media.
2: I'm speaking with Eric Barger about his best-selling book, Entertaining Spirits Unaware. You can get a copy right now by calling 1-800-652-1144, or you can order online at swrc.com. Eric, in the book, you devote a chapter to Halloween. Halloween is not a harmless celebration, is it?
3: No, it isn't. pretty hard to convince your kids of that when everybody else around them, all the other kids in the neighborhood or at school, are... Talking about it and they're going to go out trick or treating. Well, trick or treating was an occult practice. I mean, it's something that gave homage to the witch doctors, if you will, in ancient England, to those who were the high priests. And so it is a very dark day. In fact, I tell people there's only one good reason that I would look at, at October 31st in a positive way, and that's the fact that my dad was born that day and look what he had. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> and so witchcraft itself is. Promoted. It is a day about contacting and mourning the dead, and it's about the worship of ancestors. What could be further from the pure and true worship of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, than what Halloween is all about?
2: White magic is increasing today in popularity. A woman once tried to convince me that she was a good witch who practiced white magic. You write in the book about a woman who said she was a Christian witch. Isn't it true there's no such thing as white magic? Isn't it all black?
3: That's exactly right, and that can't be spoken enough. It is all all black, and even occultists, if they're honest about this, will tell you that. Most Satanists, for example, would disagree with witches about a lot of philosophy and a lot of religious things, and witches would do the same. But the Satanists will tell you that there's no such thing as white magic, They'll say it very clearly, and that may be the only thing that we'd be in harmony with them about, but that's very true.
2: I want to talk for a minute about necromancy. You mentioned necromancy in a previous program that we did together. How does the belief in reincarnation fit into that demonic practice?
3: As far as it fitting directly into it, they're really two different things. The idea that you will come back in a human form. Of course, that's very Americanized. Transmigration comes from Hinduism that 's the idea that if you have bad karma that 's their words, not mine, and you 'll come back as something less you 'll come back as a bug or a fragmented disease or something uh, something different than human in Western context reincarnationists you know it 's amazing how people have these dreams that they were a prince or a princess in a former lifetime, and so on. Necromancy and reincarnation, all these things do work together, no doubt about it. If you can be brought to believe that you'll come back in another life form, then you have immediately given up on what the Scripture says. Hebrews 9.27 is very clear. Man is appointed once to die, and then the judgment. You can't mix the two. Christian reincarnationists, again, talk about the mixing of terms, would be like saying... Christian pornography, because these two things are mutually exclusive. Biblical things don't mix and don't match with the world of the occult. God is very clear about it, and again, we'll get the passage, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 13, is a great reference point to begin a study about this, and of course, we outline that in the book, Entertaining Spirits Unaware, in a lot of depth, actually.
2: Well, it's true that occult practices and psychic phenomena have captivated millions of people worldwide, even in our age of technological and scientific advances. We look for this trend to continue as we approach the end of this age. This is James Collins reminding you that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy.
0: Today, our featured resource is Larry Stam's complete teaching series, Jewish Roots of Christianity, which is available as a book, dvd series and audio collection on cd order jewish roots of christianity when you call 1-800-652-1144 that's 1-800-652-1144 you can always order online swrc.com that's swrc.com tomorrow billy crone looks at the great COVID deception be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com.